The Insurance Coffee House is hosted by Insurance Search. Insurance Search provides executive recruitment services to insurance companies, brokers, and insurtechs in the UK and across the United States, attracting and retaining the most successful leaders to your insurance business. To find out more, visit insurance-search.com. The Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get to meet and be inspired by the most successful insurance business leaders from across the world. Hosted by Nick Hoadley, CEO of Insurance Search. Welcome to the Insurance Coffee House. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Brad Weisberg. Brad is the CEO and founder of Snapsheet, the claims insurtech headquartered in Chicago, Illinois. And Brad joins me on the line from Dallas this morning. Welcome to the show, Brad. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Brad, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. I know we've been in talks for a little while now. Really looking forward to hearing more about your story there and some of the great work that Snapsheet's doing as well. As we are in the insurance coffee house this morning, you're on the road there traveling. I believe you're on a road show seeing some of your team there in Dallas. What's your go-to coffee of choice today? I am a coffee guy. I wouldn't call myself a coffee snob, but I really do enjoy coffee. My go-to every day is pretty much just a good old-fashioned cup of black coffee, drip coffee with a splash of cream. I've been fortunate enough to hear about your background and your career prior to Snapsheet and that story and that journey that led you starting the business. For our listeners who are not okay with that, would you mind sharing with them a little bit more about your previous career and that journey that led to you starting the business. After I graduated from college, I actually moved out to Los Angeles and I got a job working for HBO. So I was in the entertainment industry working in their original productions department. And, you know, this is dating me back. The shows I was working on was like Sex in the City and The Sopranos, Deadwood. And it was great. You know, I started at the bottom of the totem pole and, you know, it mm-hmm. taught me humility and you're a gopher and you're pretty much just do like whatever bosses need you to do. But, but if it wasn't for my time that I spent in California, I wouldn't have come up with the idea for Snapsheet, because that was actually when I got in a car wreck and, and went through my painful claims experience was out there, which gave me the idea to start the company. Who would have thought it working on Hollywood productions would lead you to start an insurance-based business? Uh, that's, right. that's true. You know, no one wakes up thinking they're going to be in the insurance industry. You know, no one dreams about it when they're a kid, right? But uh, insurance yeah. the industry finds you. And once it does, most people are lifers because it's a great industry with wonderful people massive opportunity to work in the industry with lots of things that you can fix and make better. Right. So what was that story? How did that come up? You said you were in a car accident. What happened and what brought the idea of Snapsheet to life? So essentially what happened was, is I got in a car wreck. It was a small fender bender and I needed to file a claim. The only way that you could do it at the time was you had to call your insurance company. So I called my insurance company and you know they gave me a couple of options. They said, One, we can send a staff appraiser to your house, which will take anywhere between seven to 10 days to schedule an appointment and, you know, have them slot you in. Or you could take your car to multiple body shops and get an estimate your own way and send it back to us. My car was like on the fence of whether I was going to actually like have insurance pay for it or whether I was going to pay out of pocket. 
And so essentially I took my car to three different body shops and I received three completely different estimates for this dent, thousand dollars difference in price. And I'm not a car guy and I wasn't an insurance guy. I was just, you know, someone working in Hollywood looking for, you know, to get an estimate on my vehicle. But I also like, had to take time off of work to do this because most shops are only open, you know, for a couple hours, maybe on the weekends, if at all. And so the process was just super frustrating and time consuming and confusing. And there was no technology to guide you along the way. Everything was very manual and done in person. I also noticed that when I would go to these body shops that they would just look at my car from different angles and write me an estimate. They didn't tear it apart. They didn't touch it. They just looked at it. I guess I didn't realize at the time that I have this entrepreneurial spirit and I look at the world in a different way. And I was just thinking, you know, why did I have to come here if they're just looking at my car? And I thought, you know, why can't I just take photos and start sending photos to the insurance company or to the body shop to get an estimate? That would save me a lot of time and energy. I did a ton of research on the industry and I called body shops and I just kind of put two and two together and I realized that there's probably something here. Like there is a way to continue to add technology to the claims experience to create a better process and a better user experience for customers. And so I took out my life savings, which was not very much. And I started Snapsheet essentially to automate the claims experience, to add technology, to digitize it, and to help customers you know, bring transparency to the process and leverage technology to, to just make it a whole lot easier. We've been on quite the journey, right? Like when I started the company, the original business model and the original technology and concept, it was very different then than it has you know, evolved into today. Like it took me a little time to find my product market fit. That's so inspiring though, Brad, because obviously it's a real life situation that's happened to you. I'm sure there are lots of people out there who have similar experiences in life. A lot of people would try and knock you down and say, look, you know, if that could be done, why aren't the insurers doing that already? Why aren't the carriers doing that already? They've got huge budgets. Why don't they just do that? There's been hundreds, if not thousands of people that have said that this will never work and it's a terrible idea and that I should you know, do something else. Even when I like very, very, very early on, when I was calling the body shops to try to decide myself, was I going to go all in on this idea? I probably called 50 body shops just doing research. And I would say maybe 40 to 45 of them said, oh, absolutely not. I write an estimate from a photo. But there were five shops that they said, absolutely, we actually do this a little bit today. You can do it. And this is a product that I would use. And just from that small kernel of, oh, okay, someone's biting on this. And everyone else, their answer was really like, well, this is the way we've always done things. So if you got to come to the shop. You know, that wasn't a good enough answer for me of like, this is how we've always done things because technology evolves and change and the world changes. And so I went all in. Brad, that original product, and like you say, I'm sure that's been massively developed along that time. Maybe you could share this and a little bit more about what those core products do and how you've gone about developing them. In the early days, I originally built, essentially, it was a business-to-consumer two-sided marketplace. I was walking the streets of Chicago, putting flyers on cars that had dents and scratches. I was walking into body shops, convincing them of a new customer acquisition strategy of now they could get leads essentially online through my platform. And I was able to raise some seed funding from a local venture capitalists in Chicago and on the coast. Off to the races I went at that point, building out my product. And essentially what happened was I created raving fans. 
So people love the workflow. They love the technology. They love the user experience because I made it very simple and easy and intuitive. And you were essentially able to go through the entire claims process without having to leave your house. You were able to do it all through technology. But the problem was, is I was focused on people that were paying out of pocket. I wasn't actually focused on selling it, the technology to the insurance carriers. So about a year and a half, maybe two years into the business model, I had talked to enough insurance carriers and I had talked to enough body shops to realize that every carrier I talked to, that, you know, same problems. They were built on old legacy systems. They had low net promoter scores. They had years of technical debt that they were digging out of. They had 30, 40 million claims a year. They needed estimates on these vehicles and they were sending someone to your house or what have you, or sending you to a body shop. And so at one point, I finally put a stick in the ground. I drew a line in the sand and I said, look, what I have is working and people love it, but the business model just wasn't there focused on, you know, it's 10% of people that get their car repaired are paying out of pocket versus 90% are going through insurance. So I took my technology and I enterprised up my platform and started selling it directly to insurance carriers to offer to their customers at the time they get in a wreck as a new method of inspection, as like a third digital channel, a virtual channel to do it that way. And that's when things really started to click and take off. But it took me time to like this Rubik's cube of like figuring out, okay, you know, did this work test and trial and talk to your customers and pivot and continue to push Tinker and find that product market fit. And eventually I did. And so Today, we have multiple products out in the market. So we have an appraisals product where we've been able to digitize the claims experience by offering, you know, omni-channel communication to be able to, to kick off your claim, be able to get an estimate very, very, very quickly within hours virtually without leaving your house. And for the carriers, it allows them to variableize their cost structure, digitize the claims experience that helps them have more control over their total cost of repair. We are essentially a faster, less expensive option that gives carriers more control over the total cost of repair and the user experience, all while focused on the customer. And so that's our first product. And then we have a core end end claim system that we sell to carriers, TPAs, MGAs, self-insureds. And essentially our second product, how we came up with it is like, we spent a lot of time with insurance carriers and their adjusters, watching what they would do, trying to make their lives easier, trying to automate the experience as much as possible. And we realized that they were spending a lot of their day taking information from one system and putting it into another system, a lot of different data entry. And the way that we had built our technology for our appraisals product, we realized that if we could add just a couple more modules to our platform, reserving and some permission management, a little bit more workflow management, we could put all of this in one system and get rid of all these manual tasks that adjusters have to go through to just make their lives easier. So they can focus on the really difficult claims and we could automate away a lot of the manual tasks and things that they do throughout their day. And so we built a claim system about four years ago, and it's been wildly successful. And that's for auto and property. Such a brilliant story. If I can just take you back, in terms of building out the technology, see, you've had this fantastic idea and you've proven the concept of that. How did you go around building the technology? Did you partner with someone? Have you got a co-founder on the technology side or started hiring people to build out that technology? My original product, my 
what's called an MVP, minimum viable product. I actually worked with a third-party engineering shop just to prove out the model. I'd say somewhat inexpensive way to build momentum and to get something off the ground. But at a certain point in any company's journey, like you need to have your own engineering team. So eventually I did hire a CTO, our current CTO, his name's Ryan Stout. He's fantastic. He came over the guy, his name's Dan Colomb. And so these two guys, he was our previous CTO. He's now our COO. They built out our platform. I think we have 75 engineers on our team at this point, or 75 folks on, on the engineering team, which includes like QA and product and other stuff. But all of our technology is built in-house just based on our vision, our idea of how we can digitize the industry and automate away a lot of what we'll do. It's obvious to see what the benefits are for the policyholders. What are some of the benefits for the carriers and TPAs, those sort of claims divisions, claims companies that you're partnering with? Our platform is highly configurable. So a lot of the technology out there, whether it was homegrown or a lot of the technology players that are selling, they were you know on-premise solutions that were built 20, 30, 40 years ago. We're out with our platform. It's highly configurable. It's easy to launch. It's easy to scale. You don't need system integrators to make changes. So you can build out workflows in real time. You can change your workflows and then roll them back if they don't work within seconds, right? We have low code configurable solutions that you can just point and click and make changes in real time, almost like a Salesforce. It's a lower cost solution that's super lightweight, that's built in the cloud, that's built on the newest technology. It's all built with APIs. So you could plug in any other third parties easily. We're an open platform that carriers love. And the result of building something new today with new technology is like we've been able to prove with a lot of our customers that we've been able to automate essentially everything from first notice of loss all the way through to like paying out the claim with very little to almost no adjuster handling, which allows carriers to scale by hiring less people and allows them to have people that they do have focus on like the really difficult claims that need more time and energy and focus to push them over the finish line. I know obviously, especially at the moment with inflation, carriers are really looking to push down those costs of claims by any means possible. And I'm sure by making it more efficient, more digital. A lot of challenges, a lot of headwinds. The combined ratios are over 100%. The cost of labor continues to go up. The total cost of repair, like it's just more expensive to fix these cars. And so they need to look at their operating models and think, how can I do things different? The answer is throwing bodies at it. How do I continue to evolve my business by leveraging technology and platforms, right? To help us become more efficient and help us automate processes and doing that, they'll become more profitable. And where is the business at the moment, Brad? I believe when you started 12 years ago, obviously you had that accident before then, coming up with the idea and then putting that into practice. Where is the business now? Business is doing great. Carriers are risk averse. So it's taken a little time for my vision to unfold, but the industry's headwinds have now become our tailwinds and they understand that like this is the future and this is how they're going to have to work. So, you know, we grew some like 60% last year. We're on track to grow 30% this year. We've got well over 100 carriers, TPAs, self-insureds, MGAs that we work with that leverage multiple products. We're in the US, Canada. We have a couple of carriers in Europe that we work with. 
based in Chicago, Illinois. We've got 600 plus employees and we're profitable. We were an insure tech before insure tech was even a word, you know, but it takes time. You notice in this industry, there's no like really big companies that were built over five or 10 years. A lot of them, they take 20, 30, 40 years. The beauty of it, it's a massive industry, but it's only a small handful of people at the top that run a lot of these carriers. So if you can build a good business, like a lot of the carriers choose the same company to rely on. And so you can build a really sizable business over time if you're solving the carrier's problems and you have a team that can scale the business. And so I feel like we are a breakout player from an insure tech perspective. And I feel like we have an opportunity to be a really, really large company helping you know solve carrier's problems over the next 10, 20 years. I imagine starting out, you're very much the innovators in the market. But a lot of that sells around educating the carriers and the TPAs about what is actually possible. I'm sure now they're very much bought into that. They're looking to do that. And they're almost coming to you saying, you know, how do we do this now? Yeah. Sales cycles with carriers can take an awful long time, can't it? But once you're in and once you're partnering, they're looking to partner with you for the long term. So you can only see good things ahead. On those future plans, I know there's domination of the US is certainly right in the uh, crossfire for you. What about Europe internationally? Are there plans to grow further overseas? Yes, there are. We currently work with Zurich in Ireland, Generali in Serbia. We are talking to a lot of carriers and MGAs right now that are based in the UK and across Europe. So our future growth plans, we've got teams of people that are currently building relationships with carriers and we're you know close with launching with a few more. And from there, we'll have a team of people that will be there. That is a big part of our growth story over the next couple of years is going to be um, internationally. So I'm sure there'll be a lot of opportunities. Listeners, look out for that. Brad, you've grown the business at 600 employees. I know they're based in different geographies and remote working has been quite a big thing for you, yeah. building remote teams, building out a remote workforce. How did that come about? Was that something that came about from the pandemic? Was that something you were doing previously? How's that working for you? So it was definitely something that we were doing before the pandemic. The beauty of building technology today is, I don't want to say you can track people, but like platforms you can build, like you can see what people are doing essentially in real time, right? And you can track metrics, you can track conversions, you can track calls, all of it through technology. So when I started the business, I wanted everyone in the office and I'm like, I'm going to build the best office culture I'm going to create really strong bonds with people. And it worked and it made sense. If I could get anyone to our office, I felt like I could close them just yeah. based on the camaraderie and the collaboration. And, you know, we had all the same stuff that all the other tech companies have, like Papa Shots and Ping Pong and lunches and things like that. But, you know, and folks flying around on scooters. And it was great. And I think that it is impossible to replicate that in a virtual world. But at the same time, as I was building the company in the early days, I had a lot of folks come to me and say, Brad, this would be, you know, we could do this from home. If you would let us do our job from home, like there are benefits, right? It would allow us to hire nationally and get the best of the best talent across the country versus just in, in Chicago. And so I had a, a group of employees that essentially like I made a deal with them and I said, look, okay, I'll send you home. And if you can prove to me that you're as efficient, because we could track everything in our platform. So, 
So I could see, we could essentially see everything we we're doing. We see their conversion rates, everything. So I'm like, if you could prove to me that you could do this for you know two weeks straight, then I'm in and let's try it. And so I sent them home. And what happened was, is they actually were more productive and they got more work done than when they were in the office. This was probably 2015 was when this happened or, you know, 2016. So we decided to do it. So early on, like we became a remote company. We really focused on if we could find folks in the Chicagoland area, we wanted them in the office if we could, but yet we would also be looking nationally. And so we started growing our footprint across the country. And, you know, then when COVID happened and everybody was was forced home, we were prepared for it because we were already doing it. Since COVID, we really haven't looked back. We've gone all in on hiring folks all across the country and building this in the remote style. It has a lot of challenges. It's very, 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 very difficult to build culture in a remote environment. And especially like in the early days, of the 2020s, 2021s, when everyone was just getting used to it, you hear all these stories of folks working at Google and Facebook, what have you, and they just sitting in their room, their tiny office, what have you, they're making X number of dollars and, you know, they have one bad day of work. So they quit and then they get a job at, you know, another company and they're making, you know, 10, you know, 5,000, whatever it is more. And they're still sitting in the same room. Easy. Cause you're just trading in your laptop and you're getting a new laptop. That's not how you gain an edge on other companies. Like you need to find folks that are bought into your vision, that believe in your company, your company culture, your technology, like your North Star. And it takes a lot more work to get people to buy in to the company vision from this remote environment. A lot more you have to do. When we were in our office, I could walk down the aisle and just give high fives to everybody. And if you want to do a stand-up, you're just like, hey, everybody. It was great. And now, you know, it's just, it takes a lot more work. And it's part of the reason why I'm in Dallas right now. How have you gone about building that culture there? One thing that we've started to do is, you know, we focused on, you know, though we are a national company, we, we focus on, hiring in the same cities pockets of snapsters in major metropolitan areas and so every year we do a road show it's called a road show and so i'm here with some other executives and we schedule time meetups you know so it'll be this afternoon and we're going to go you know spend time with all the local dallas so we'll have probably 25 folks here then we'll come meet up and you know i just give them an update on the business and how things are going and you know and what they're working on and what's coming in 2024 and we have dinner and drinks at a bar it's a great way though it doesn't happen as much to get people together for me to spend time with them to let them ask me whatever questions they want to try to build a little bit more of that in-person culture you know every other day out of the year they're working from home and you know but it takes you know coordination you know, but the money that we were spending on, say, lunches or what have you, we just use that budget for, you know, this type of stuff. We do as many in-person events as possible by, you know, us, me or other executives taking our time to fly to different locations, do it that way versus flying everybody to Chicago. We do do an annual summit where we fly all of our senior leaders to Chicago for a two or three day thing at our office. We have a big, beautiful office that's a one time a year we're able to use it. 
fill it up. But we do a lot of ongoing, you know, training, leadership development. We bring in speakers. We focus a lot of like our summit on cross collaboration. So not just meeting with your team, but meeting with others on on the team. You know, I like to build a transparent, open, you know, culture that where everyone kind of can work with everyone because that's how you're going to build better products. When the team works really well together, we have a summit. We do monthly mailers. So we do themed mailers every month where we will send out, if it's winter time, we'll send out sweatshirts and, you know, hats and socks and snuggies and things like that. Or we'll have like a food month where we'll send out taco seasoning and, and things like that. But to try to keep it fun and enjoyable, but it takes work. Like it takes a lot more work to build a culture in a remote environment than it does otherwise. But yeah, if you're deliberating, you can't hide from the advantages. You know, like my commute in Chicago, sometimes it takes me an hour, an hour and 15, sometimes even an hour and a half one way to get to the office. I think the last time we talked, I was driving into the office and, you know, we went through a full hour and I was still sitting in traffic. So the advantages of being able to work from home, you know, as long as you have the tools and the technology to track the efficiency of your employee base, it is here to stay. It's not for everyone and it's not for every company. And I think that there are some roles that in person is probably better. I mean, sales is one that's like, if you've got a big sales force, like you kind of want your sales team sitting there learning from each other, rooting each other on, learning from how others are pitching and things like that. Some roles that I feel like are probably better in person, but like, there's no question it's already been proven out. Like you can, you can build really, really you know, strong companies in a remote world. And I think certainly hiring people out of the insurance industry, I think there's a real benefit there at this point in time where previously, maybe if you were looking to bring someone in from a carrier or who they experienced working at a TPA, they've been in a very much corporate environment. That jump maybe four or five years ago to working from home for a startup would be such a, perceived such a big risk and such a changing environment. But actually now with, you know, even people at the large carriers have been able to work at home three, four, five days a week, you know, and they're just opening up their laptop and they're now working for a startup. I think the perceived level of risk in the different working environment, I think is a lot less and can help attract people from that corporate environment. Yeah, because they want to work from home. Brad, it brings us nicely on to the espresso round. I know you've got your coffee there this morning in Dallas. Are you ready for the espresso round? Let's do it. The espresso round. Brad, what one recommendation would you have to uh, candidates, to maybe insurance professionals who are coming in to interview at Snapsheet? What would be your one piece of advice to them? I would say be yourself. We try to be super transparent, like overly transparent when we're hiring and, and really give our interviewers the understanding of what the job is like day to day because no one wants to set the wrong expectation. You don't want to ever have somebody leave their job thinking something's going to be one thing when they get there. It's not. It's not good for the new employee and their life and their family. And it's not good for the company because they spent time, money, and resources trying to hire the right person. Be yourself. Ask lots of questions. When you're hiring people, is there certain personalities that are a good fit for your organization who fit well into culture? What do you look for when hiring? That's a great question. It takes a village to build 
company. Like it really, really, really does. And one thing that I've learned early on, I used to just try to hire people that thought like me, had a going personality. That's a recipe for failure. So what I've learned over time is like, you want all different personalities. You want all shapes and sizes. You want introverts that think different. And I tried to build a culture of collaboration. And I don't want to say transparency, but like, it's okay to disagree. Even like my management team, the way that I run my business is like, we talk about things as a team and everyone doesn't agree with what I say. And I'd say probably 90% of the time, my team pushes back on what I think. It doesn't mean that they're right either, but the fact that they're comfortable and willing to challenge what I'm saying helps us build better technology and get to the right answer because no one knows everything. So we look for all types of people. Of course, you know, for different roles that we have, we look for maybe, you know, certain personality traits. I think if you, if you read any business book or if you look at any successful company, every founder or CEO will tell you it's the team and it's the people that make the company successful. It's not the idea. Great ideas are a dime a dozen. And it takes all types of people with all ideas to win. If you're able to build that and allow them you know, a long rope to think and talk and to test and try that beats like a big corporate culture of like a dictatorship all day, any day, you know, failing fast and working together in tight knit teams. Allowing that innovation. Brad, we've almost reached the end of our time together in the insurance coffee house today. Time has flown by. Before we go though, do you have one piece of closing advice for our listeners? And if someone's considering an opportunity with Snapsheet at the moment or might be interested in learning more about career opportunities, where should they go? I would say, look, if there's an open wreck and you're at all considering, you're not happy with where you currently are to 100% apply. I know it is becoming a tighter job market. Balance is important in life and you only have one life to live. And if you're not happy, I would say get out of that situation and you know put yourself in a situation that supports you, that gives you something that you're passionate about. I never thought that I'd be passionate about insurance and claims, <laughs> but I found that I absolutely love it and I love the people that I work with. I love the industry and I love helping the industry evolve and get better. And um, if you can find a company that fulfills you in that way, you can find kind of like the motivation and the and the beauty and the things that you're working on, then that's much more than what most people have. So I would say please do apply because we're looking for you know top talent in the industry to help us on our journey. And we're growing like crazy and we're transforming the industry. And I feel like we're just getting started. We are just getting started, even though we're a 10-year-old company. Come join us on our journey and help us transform the industry. Thank you, Brad. We'll be sure to post the links on the show notes so people can just click straight through to your website and also uh, your LinkedIn pages as well. Brad, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you in the Insurance Coffee House. Your personal journey and the inspiration that you had for starting the business, I think, is incredible. It's a really interesting story. Obviously, since then, you know, it's been a great success at Snapsheet, one of the real sort of successful insurtechs out there. You know, long may that continue. Brad, thank you for your time. We'll catch up with you soon. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Insurance Coffee House with Nick Hoadley. Join us next time for another episode packed with insights and advice for senior leaders, C-suite executives, and ambitious insurance professionals. Stream all episodes at insurance-search.com.